Turn your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel, chapter 27, 28, 29, 30, 31. How about that? We're going to do five chapters this morning. Let me show you a little comparison. The reason I'm doing five chapters is because there's a great message here that you'll miss if you just read little, little bits. We need this bigger chunk to see what God's really trying to teach us. Let me show you a little bit, a little flavor for that. Look at chapter 28, verses 3 through 6. You'll notice a contrast between Saul and David. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented and buried him in Ramah. Now that's important. Samuel was God's prophet, God's priest, the one God spoke through. So if you lose Samuel, you're, you're losing the voice of God. Big, big statement and how Saul relates to that. And Saul, verse 3, and Saul had removed from the land those who were mediums and spiritists. So the Philistines gathered together and they came and he camped in Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel together and they camped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the camp of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. First kind of concept I want you to grasp is here's the king of Israel, Saul. He sees the Philistines gathering before him, and he sees their great number and power, and he is trembling. He's shaking. He's been to battle with these guys before, but there's something about this battle that literally has him scared to death. He is facing distress. So much so, his prophet's dead. He's trying to hear from God. God, tell me what to do here. And don't miss this statement. You want to circle it, uh, chapter 28, verse 6. So he, he asked God, 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 you know, what do I do? Circle this. The Lord did not answer. So I want you to begin to notice the providence of God here. We all face hard times. We all face great distress. Sometimes God doesn't answer. That's part of this story. Now look over at chapter 30. Also, verse 6. Chapter 30, verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed. Begin to see the comparison? Saul is distressed. David is greatly distressed. And I'll get into some of the reasons in a minute. Because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said, that is God, said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely 
rescue them. Now think about the comparison. Saul's greatly distressed, no word from God. David greatly distressed, wonderful word from God. Both sides of God's providence. Sometimes when we talk about the subject of providence, God's leading, that we only think of one side. God delivered. But sometimes God doesn't deliver. He dooms. He destroys. He damns. And that is also the providence of God. And he gives us these last chapters of the book of 1 Samuel to show us this comparison of two tremendous leaders in uh, Israel. It reminded me of uh, going duck hunting one morning and uh, with one of the deacons in our church, and I was shot. Which is why every time you see the prayer chain, I ask you to pray for the officers and staff of the church that they will have a gentle and wise and loving spirit. And if, if they must shoot their pastor, pray they have bad aim. Okay? But I was duck hunting, and I'd look, it was just becoming light. Ducks came in, and the guy beside me turned his shotgun right at me. And you, at that time of daylight, you can see sparks coming out of a shotgun barrel as the bullets come out. And they were coming right at me, and I turned, and the bullet hit me right here on that. You can feel, feel that hard bone right there. You got one, too. But think about where your finger is. You go... Just a little bit back, you've got your temple. And that's not hard, that's soft. You go just a little bit forward and you got your eye. I'd left that experience saying, I have been delivered. What wonderful providence. The, the bullet stuck right there, in that, right at that hard bone. And so I, I got home, looked in the mirror, saw it there, got my pocket knife, popped it out, put a little turpentine on it. I was good to go. Turpentine is a great invention. I don't know why we've lost that. It just kills all infection, heals up. I, I was good. But anyway, I was, I was thinking about the providence of God. Because I was delivered. But then I got to thinking about all the people I knew who lost their sight or who were dead. Is God's providence not in that as well? We need to see there's times where God still, God doesn't lose control of the universe just because you don't get delivered. There are people who get doom and destruction and pain and heartache and very difficult situations. God is still in control. And we're seeing that in 1 Samuel with this contrast between Saul and David. I want us to Keep playing with that contrast as I try to take you through these, these chapters so that you can, you can see it here. So let's, let's look at this comparative description, first of all, of their distress. Chapter 27, verse 1, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape in his hands. Now, I won't take you back to it, but earlier in 1 Samuel, God had promised to, to uh, protect David in, in the wilderness. 
David has been in the wilderness now for a while. And he doesn't just have to protect him. He's got two wives, kids. He's got 600 men who have wives and kids. So, you know, 600 times two, a wife, that's 1,200. I don't know how many kids, a couple kids. I mean, we're easily between two and 3,000, maybe more people. And how do you hide two to 3,000 people in the wilderness? You know, you, you yell over your shoulder, hey, y'all walk softly. You know, don't break any twigs, don't ruffle any leaves. We don't want our enemy to know we are going this way. Don't make a path. How do you do that? How do you escape notice when you have that many people walking through the wilderness? And David's trying to do this, going from rivers and streams and into caves and trying to hide these folks and still feed these folks and provide for these folks. And it's just pressure, pressure, pressure. And he says, he says, I'm just worn out. I, I can't do this. Surely they're going to find us. We're going to die. We've already seen how he just barely escaped the last time. And so he said, you know, the only hope I... I know God said he would protect me, but I'm going back to the Philistine territory. Saul doesn't want to go into the Philistine territory. He doesn't want to cross that border. I'm going back to, and he he tells us, uh, to uh, Kish, verse 2. So David arose and crossed over, and 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Now you remember, David's been here before. The last time he was here, king of Agash said, you know, you know, isn't this the guy who kills ten thousands? You've brought him into my territory, and he's against me. I'm just going to kill him. And David had to act like a madman to get out of there and escape. And because uh, Akish finally said, "You know, is he is he is he insane? I don't need insane people." He just kind of pushed him out, and David left. He said, "He'll kill me if he finds out I'm not insane that I was just acting." So he left. This time he's coming back and he's been pursued and chased so many times by Saul. I think it's clear to Achish. He says, he, this time he goes with the truth. He says, look, Saul is trying to kill me and my 600 men. Can't you see I am no friend or to Israel? Let me hang out with you guys. I am a tremendous warrior. I'll fight your battles. Achish says, okay, that's cool. I'll let you stay at one of our territories. We'll, we'll test you and see how you do, and you'll, you'll fight some battles for the Philistines now. So David wins a friend, and he gets to stay in uh, the Philistine territory. Uh, but I just want you to imagine the, the, the distress he was under to go to those links, to, to go into enemy territory to try to hide. I mean, can you, can you feel a little bit of the pressure, not of just protecting 600 men and their families, but the pressure of being under the gun, so to speak, of the king of Israel? We've seen it happen, rare occasions here, but it still happens in America. This kind of scenario, suppose you are home tomorrow night, you've had your supper, you're sitting in your den, you're watching another episode of Wheel of Fortune, And through the door, just bam, 
a SWAT team comes in pointing assault rifles at you because they got a tip you are a threat to the president. How do you deal with that? When the president or the king himself hears that you're against him and he sends all of his forces out for you, that's what David was feeling. Tremendous pressure. He says, I can't take this anymore. I will perish under these conditions. So he goes to Akish, and Kish takes care of him. Uh, look at um, then, as soon as he gets there, it gets worse. Look at chapter 28, verse 1 and 2. Now it came about in those days, so he, now he's in Akish, tells you it came about that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. Now, I skipped a lot, but before, so David did a few small battles for Akish. Kish would say, hey, here's some of my enemies. David said, I got this. He would take his 600 men, completely slaughter everybody, give some presents to Akish, go back home say, yeah, I'm good. He did that two or three times. He's gained his trust. Now the Philistines are going to fight Israel. Now that's a predicament. Because David knows he does not want to fight his own people. He says that Achish is, is one group of Philistines. The Philistines are in various cities. Now all the cities of, Philist, of the Philistines are gathering together along with Achish. He says, bring all your forces. We're going to go fight Israel. So Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. Verse 2, And David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know that your ser what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So Achish thinks he's got a great, you know, silver bullet, so to speak, in David. David, I want you to go with me. The Philistines have never seen a warrior that can kill 10,000. I mean, I want you right by my side. Nobody fights like you. And David's sitting there thinking, okay, you know, I'm in. So they haven't gone yet. But think about the predicament David's in. If he goes to battle and he fights against his people, the Philistines excuse me, Israel, as a Philistine, if he goes to battle, what's his chances of ever being king of Israel? If he ends up killing Israel? Not good. If he goes to battle and he helps the Israelites, turns on the Philistines, what's his chance of living in a Philistine city anymore? Not good. It's a no-win. It's lose-lose. He's in this predicament. Have you ever been there where you did something convinced it would make your life better? And you get in that situation for a little while, and then all of a sudden, it just gets worse. That's where David was. He thought it'd be better if he just got over into Philistine, Philistine territory. He gets over there. It was better for a little while. Seemed at peace. And then it just went south. 
It's kind of like, you know, if you ever had a friend tell you, hey, this is, this is the stock market's going up right now. You need to buy this, this, or this. And they're after you, they're after you finally buy into the stock market. And sure enough, for the next week, it just keeps climbing and you're feeling good. You put a little more in, and then all of a sudden, it tanks. And it never comes back. You thought you were going to be at peace, and it just gets worse. Or you think, you know, this single life's for the birds, and you're going to get married, and life's going to be easy, and all of a sudden, it just gets worse. You know, we won't tell the Malones that. You come back from the, the honeymoon, and it goes the other way. And you say, oh, man, now I've got to really stick with this covenant thing. I made a vow for better, for worse. Or you, you finally work that out with marriage, but you're lonely. And you say, you know, kids will make it. You have kids, and the kids grow up, and it gets worse. I mean, these kind of things happen. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Or you say, I just, I got to get out of this job, got to get out of this job, got to get out of this job. Find the perfect job, you get into that job and everything is wonderful. And then the company goes bankrupt and they kick you out because you're a low man on the totem pole and things just get worse. And now you've lost a job and you can't find a job. I mean, these kind of scenarios are all through life. That's what David was dealing with. Real distress, thinking he was going to work it out. And it just got worse and worse. And then it's interesting in 1 Samuel, how does it all work out? The story's postponed. Uh, back in t- chapter 28, you know, verse 1 and 2 I read. Verse 3, now Samuel was dead. Wait, 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 wait. Why are you telling me about Samuel? And switch to Saul. Tell me about David. They postponed the story. Really, you look over at chapter 29. Verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek. Oh, that's the story. All the Philistines getting their army together to fight Israel. So what just happens? And it's interesting, liberal scholars, they look at a passage like this, and they say, another example of how the Bible's all messed up, and people put it together, and it's wrong. It's, It's clearly not in chronological order. If you want it in chronological order, it should be chapter 27, then most of chapter 29, and then most of chapter 28. You've got to get this thing in chronological order. But if you put it in chronological order, you miss the point. There's times when God's not writing to give us chronological order. It's like the weatherman. If, if he's telling you this hurricane's coming to the coast of Charleston and it's going to blast it, you might see him go, go back in time and say, I want to show you Hugo. He's, he's not didn't start with Hugo, this storm coming to Charleston, and put it in chronological order because his interest is not chronology. His interest is comparison. I want you to compare this storm to that storm. And God's doing the same thing. He's going back and forth, not giving us chronology because he's, he wants us to compare David with Saul. And so he gave us David's predicament. He didn't give us the solution to David's predicament. And then he immediately goes into Saul's predicament and doesn't give us the solution to Saul's predicament. 
but he leaves them there for a while so that we can compare, and then he comes back to some of the conclusions. So I'm best I can, I'm going to try to stay with the text the way it is so that you begin to feel it and see it as well. Uh, so chapter 28, verse 4. The Philistines gathered together and they came and they camped in Shunem and Saul gathered to all Israel and they camped in Gilboa. And then you see chapter uh, 29, verse 1, which I just read, all the Philistines gathering. That would be chronology, but we don't want to do chronology. We want to do a comparison of David and Saul. So we see this distress of, of David. Thought he had it worked out. Life got worse. Now let's look at the distress of Saul. Chapter 28 I've read verses 5, 6, 7. So Saul's in distress. He sees the Philistines all around him. He's trembling. He's afraid. That's verse 5. I mean, it takes a lot to shake up the king of, of a huge army. But he, he, he shook up. And then verse 6, again, circled. The Lord didn't answer him, either by dreams, Urim, or prophets. How are the three ways God spoke in those days? There they are. God spoke. They didn't have full versions of a Bible yet. God spoke through dreams. God spoke through the Urim. That's the priest would have an ephod or something and speak uh, through prayer. By the way, that's the contemporary version of that is the church prayer chain. Okay? So it spoke through the, the, the priest, spoke through the prophets, he spoke through dreams. And God would give dreams. He says, Samuel's dead to, to Samuel. Samuel would speak. Saul doesn't get an answer. And because he doesn't get an answer from the Lord, he seeks an answer from a medium at Endor. Verse 7, Then Saul said to his servants, Seek for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. We know that as a witch doctor, okay? That's who she is. Paul, Saul has tried to kill all the witch doctors, the spiritists. This, I saw on the, the side of the road coming up the connector yesterday, um, somebody, a uh, little, you know, little sign there for psychic palm reading. That's what it is. Saul says, okay, I can't get an answer from the Lord. So I'll seek an answer from Satan. I'll seek some witch doctor. I'll seek some satanic advisor or counselor. I'll go that route. Maybe Satan has a word for me. He's not using that terminology, but that's, he's, he, he sees God's turn his back. So Saul turns his back and goes a completely different direction. That's how distressed and troubled he is. I just need a word. I need somebody who counsels the king. I need somebody to give me direction. If I can't get it from God and his people, his prophets, his priests, I got to get it from somewhere. And so he goes and he looks to a medium, a witch, spiritus, a psychic, and he goes and he gets an answer. And a lot of people come to me and say, yeah, what do you do with this? Samuel coming up out of the ground. Verse 11, the woman said, Whom shall you, who do you want me to bring up for you? It's kind of like they're having this little seance thing. 
spirits are moving. Saul wants an answer. What, who do you want? Who do you want that speak to you? I want Samuel to speak to me. Why? Because Samuel's a man. He's dead, I know, but he's he was the voice that always was clear and accurate and true. I I, I can do that, you know. And she does her potions or whatever, and it says something appears. Saul doesn't see it, but she does. It's always smoke and mirrors kind of thing. Well, what does he look like? Well, I see some divine being coming up out of the earth, verse 13. It's an old man. He's wrapped in a robe. Ah, oh, that sounds like Samuel. That's who it is. But it never says that. And people come and say, what do you do with this? A, a Christian coming up out of the earth after he's dead and he's speaking. Just keep the context. And you won't have any trouble with this. The context, back in verse 6, is God did not answer. God's not answering here either. Saul's not seeking God's voice. He's seeking it, a satanic voice. And what's coming up here is a satanic spirit. It's not Samuel. It says Samuel because that's what they're believing at this point. Samuel's in heaven. Remember the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. Samuel was not waiting under the earth for to be raised up. This is not Samuel speaking. This is an angel of light. Just like Satan could speak, come up out of the earth and speak as a serpent to Eve, Satan is speaking now through this witch to Saul. Just understand the context. It's not that complicated. But the real situation here is Saul's distress. I'm running out of time. Let me, let me, get, let me cut to the point. Because I got more, okay? What's the point? Do I need to tell you? No, I've told you enough about David. I think you get it. Um, the point is this. There's something worse than being in distress as a believer. And that's being in distress as an unbeliever. There's something worse than being in a predicament you can't figure out. And that's being in a predicament you can't figure out without a word from God. See, David's in a predicament he can't figure out, but God speaks. Saul's in a predicament he can't figure out, and God doesn't speak. And so he, he goes to the psychic. He goes to the witch doctor. And no matter where he goes, there is no answer from the Lord. A lot of application there when you stop to think about it. We go through tough times and we think we solve our problems and then it gets worse. And I just want you to stop and realize it gets worse than this. If you're in this life and you have no word from God, that's a lot worse than where you are. Christian, if, if, if you are struggling and you just don't know how you're going to figure it out, if God is still speaking, 
you're so much better off than the person who has no word from God. Rejoice. You're here. You're in a church that wants to deliver the word of God to you every week. That is a privileged place to sit. So many people don't have that. Rejoice that the word of God is ours and you can take it and hear it and use it for direction. If you have a Christian spouse who reads the Bible, stop and take time to say, God, thank you that I have a prophet in my own home, someone who reads the Bible and shares the word of God with me. If you have a Christian parent who is reading the Bible, rejoice greatly in someone who is directing your home by the Word of God. If you have a Christian teacher that is rare today, that is giving you and directing your class by the Word of God, what a tremendous blessing because in this life you're going to have tremendous problems you have no answer for. And your hope is that our God still speaks. He speaks through his word. David received the word. Saul did not. That's the comparison that God leaves us with and he wants us to Get a grip on. Sometimes we think life's about no problems. No, no, no. You will never escape tribulation. Life is not about not having problems, not having distress, not being full of despair. Life is about having the word of God or not having a word from God. So don't miss that tremendous uh, providential comparison. Now, Let's look at the deliverance. If we have the word of God, what, what blessing there is. Let's look to David, uh, chapter 29, as we, as we jump there. Verse 4. So the commanders of the Philistines, remember we left all the Philistines gathered. The commanders in, in all these towns of Philistines uh, were angry with him. Who? Akish. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make the man go back. What are they saying? They're saying, Akish, what are you doing bringing David, this tremendous warrior who kills tens of thousands of people, what in the world are you doing bringing him to fight alongside? That's crazy. All he's got to do is have a change of heart and he wipes us out. We've been there, done that. We're not doing that no more. We get the fact that you're a buddy-buddy with David now, but make him go home. He's not going with us. Do you see the deliverance? Remember, David was in a predicament he had no solution to. If he fights, he has to kill Israelites, and he'll never be king. If he doesn't fight, the Philistines will figure him out. He'll have no home. Who solves it? God does. He just does the next thing. I'll, you know, I've promised Akish I'll go. I'll go. He gets there. And Akish is commanded to tell him to go home. So he's like, whoa, that was close. Got out of that one. Thinks life is good. Goes home. I'll just jump to the chase here. He goes home. And what does he find? 
Somebody had raided his home, set it on fire. His house is burned. All 600 men, their houses are burned. They can't find a woman or a child in sight. Whoever raided them took their wives and their children as captives. And that's where we picked up the story in chapter 30, verse 6, where it says David was greatly distressed. Why? People spoke of stoning him. Who? Those 600 men. They're saying, okay, we're, we're done. I mean, it, we've been having victories and success. We almost just got killed in this Philistine battle. And now we come back home. Our homes are burned, and our wives and kids are missing David, we were behind you to a point, but this is, this is too much. So they're, they're, they're muttering to themselves, we, we, need to, we need to figure this out without David. Let's kill him and then figure it out. What does David do? Notice what he does. Four things. Um, end of verse 6. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. First thing we need to do. Strengthen yourself. That, that's basically stop and meditate. I encourage you to do this all the time. Ask yourself, where is God in this picture? And that's what David does. He says, okay, my men, everything's burned, everything's in smoke. My men are about to stone me. And David stops in that moment and says, where's God in this picture? God, you're here, right? God, this is your design, right? This is, this is the working of the providence of God, correct? David begins to strengthen himself in the Lord. This is meditation on what he knows about God. Second thing he does, verse 7, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, son of Ahimelech, remember priest, remember what you are, priesthood of believers. Please bring me the ephod. See, priests would have this, this, this device, like Saul was looking for the Urim, this device in which you can communicate with God. This is the prayer chain. So David strengthens himself, and then he goes to the priest, the priest to the believers here, and he says, I need to share with you the predicament. And so he puts it out on the prayer chain through this priest. Third thing he does, David himself prays. Verse 8, he inquires of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? You know, what shall I do? And then the fourth thing he does, he waits for an answer. And God said to him, Pursue, for you will surely overtake them, and you will surely rescue them. Now, it's not telling us here how he got the answer. Presumably through the priest, as he prayed. So he's praying, he's got the priest praying, he's strengthening himself. We need to be doing the same thing. When we're in this predicament, we don't know what's going to happen. We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Go back and start reading scripture. What do I know about God that might direct me? I need to put it out to the priest. Priest, this is my predicament. Be praying for me. God often answers through the people of God. I don't need to just depend on you to pray. I need to pray. So he prays, and then he waits, and God speaks. It's amazing to me that we don't... It's just a practical way to deal with our stress. And many times we don't, we don't throw it to the priest, to the believers. We don't say, pray for me. We don't get into the Word when we're having our most difficult times and strengthen ourselves. We don't even pray ourselves. I don't feel like praying. And this, this is all you feel. This is what you should only feel like, this prayer, and getting other people to pray, and then just waiting 
on God to speak. So God does speak, says, you know, go after them, run fast, furious, get with it. And they run and they capture the people who uh, stole their wives and children. They slaughter them. They get all their stuff back. They didn't miss a single wife or a single kid. They bring them all back and apparently they brought a lot more back too because they're giving it away as gifts. God's glorious deliverance after strengthening in the being strengthened in the Lord, praying, seeking prayer, praying yourself, and waiting for God's answers. There was great deliverance. Well, we see it over and over in this church. We saw it in the life of Paul when he was on the ship. We saw it in the life of Peter when he was in jail. We saw it with the thief on the cross. We saw it with Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, it's just over and over and over. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. You seek prayer from others. You pray yourself and you wait and God delivers. Don't be surprised. I'll give you a song of deliverance. Look at Psalm 59, the last two verses. This should be our song. This should be what we sing. Psalm 59, verse 16 and 17. As for me, I shall sing of your strength. Yes, I shall joyfully sing of your loving kindness in the morning. For you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For God is my stronghold, the God who shows me loving kindness. When you hear David pray this kind of prayer, sing this kind of song, in the midst of distress, it comes alive. That should be our song. That's what David was praying. I have a refuge. I have a strength. I need to get back to him. I need to pray to him. I need to get other people praying. And God greatly delivers. Don't be surprised if God doesn't deliver you. He's delivered you. He's delivered me. Your new situation you thought was going to be better has turned worse. New deliverance is coming. Um, God's going to take care of us at some point in time. We just need to keep praying and seeking his word and trusting. Well, 1 Samuel ends with destruction, chapter 31. Chapter 31, why is it there? I think the only reason chapter 31 is there is just to tell us God's word comes to pass. God had already promised Saul death. God had already promised Saul destruction. God had already promised Saul no more word from me. You get to chapter 31, Saul dies. Him and his sons, they're in battle, in this battle with the Philistines. The Philistines wipe them out. Saul sees his sons killed first. Those around him, he's wounded. He wants to be a man of honor, so he takes a sword and kills himself. The Philistines find it, they cut him, find him, they cut off his head, they take that around and parade it to all their friends. They take his body, they hang it on a wall, and some of the Israelites say that's disrespectful. They take the body. It's now the birds have been eating it. They burn it, try to sanctify it. Then they bury it. No mention in chapter 31 of Saul's soul. Why? Because that's already been declared. He's without God. And now his body, though he's trying to seek honor, has been disrespected and it's gone. We all need to see the comparison. David is delivered, Saul is destroyed. We need to think about our own deliverance or destruction. We should all be at a place where we're saying, God, if, if, you, if you want to kill me, if you want to destroy me, 
Do you want to hang my body on a wall or hang my body on a cross like Christ? Do any of that. Just let my soul be with you in paradise. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then after that, the judgment. Hebrews 9.27. We're all facing death. I don't know how you will die or how I will die. Some of us are approaching death faster than others, but we will all die. And so the comparison leaves us with this feeling, how will we die? Will we die in the Lord, hearing the Lord, speaking to the Lord, and Him speaking to us, or will we die without the Lord? Like Saul. And our passion and our desire says, I want to die hearing God, being, being delivered by God. And my only hope for deliverance is that Christ forgives me and cleanses me, sanctifies me, unites me to himself. Like King David, I want to be a man after God's own heart. Do we die with a relationship with God? or with no relationship with God. That's really the conclusion of that comparison. I hope there's no one here that doesn't feel that, sense that, and say that what I desperately need is God. I need His people speaking to me. I need His word. I need His prayers. I need His forgiveness. Or I'm like Saul who is lost forever. Let's pray together. Father, let us just take a few moments and let your word soak in. Sometimes we rush off without the application. Father, let us all think, are we a Saul or a David? We all face trouble. We all face distress. We all get depressed. Some surely worse than others. We all face death, some faster than others. But do we face these things with you or without? Lord, we plead for those that we love beside us, around us, that they would know you, the only true God who can save and deliver. That They would embrace you as their only hope, as their only strength. Father, if that's us, Father, draw us to yourself. We don't want to go through these distresses, these desperate times without you in our lives, without hope that we're yours for all eternity. So draw us to yourself. Forgive us, cleanse us, make us yours, that we may know you and your word and your truth now and forever. For we ask all these things to your praise and to your glory. Through Christ, amen.